Welcome to Legacy Church. Thank you for joining us in our journey to see our potential in Christ become a legacy in our community. We hope that you are encouraged by this word from Pastor Chad Owens and pray that you will walk away with something incredible from your time here with us. I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I definitely learn something new every week just from that. Um, I need to be talked to like a child um, because that's how I understand things. I'm going to try not to spill this water over my computer, or we're not going to have service. So uh, I'm excited to be here with you guys. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's always an honor to share my heart um, up here on this stage. I, I get to share with your youth on a weekly basis, but it's, um, it's cool for you guys to be able to hear my heart as well. Because I feel like sometimes God places something on my heart for a season and in, a, in a few days, a few weeks, and that usually means, hey, you're about to preach. And so you're about to preach on a Sunday, and I know when it's coming, and, and I feel like God just placed this so heavy on my heart um, in the past few weeks, and I don't know about you, I'm, I'm kind of the person who, I've got a lot of thoughts, um, about a thousand or a million in my head at all times, like I just have so many thoughts, and sometimes I don't, I don't share them until someone makes a mistake and asks me what I'm thinking, and then I just kind of blurt it all out, and and hopefully it makes sense, but uh, mainly I do that just to get some feedback on what I'm thinking, because I know sometimes our thoughts and our opinions don't really line up with what's reality or with what God is calling us. And so I feel like that's what the Lord wanted me to do with this message. He, he placed this idea, this, this thing in my devotion, and it, and it just got in my way, and I couldn't get past it. And when my dad asked me to speak, I, I knew that this was the reason that God placed it here. So this morning I'm honored, like I said, to be, be able to share with you guys, and my hope is that during this time together, the Lord will make light of what he wants to be made known. That, that this isn't just my word, this isn't just something that I'm saying, but this is something that uh, the Lord wants to share with us as a whole, with us as, as followers of Jesus, so that we can be better equipped to share God's love with those around us. So if you would, bow your heads with me. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for your love and your peace and your mercy and your grace. God, even when we fall, we thank you that you're right there to catch us. We pray that your voice would be heard this morning. God, that it's not something that I say, God, but it's something that is said in your scripture, God, that I can, that I can use uh, to break down walls, to break down barriers, and to open the hearts of the people here and online. God, we thank you so much, and we ask that you be in this place. And all God's people said, amen. Lately, just to kind of give you an idea of where this message stems from, um, I'm sure you've seen it too. But I feel like there's really just been this heavy spirit of division in our community, um, in our state, in our nation. With everything that's going on, from A to B to Z, uh, there's just a lot going on in our community. And it's just uh, between the, the pandemic and the quarantine and the racial tension and, and everything going on, I feel like the enemy has a foothold right where he wants it. Right Where we as a church, we as people who are not in this church but in, in other churches, we as human beings are at a crossroads right now. We, we just, we're, there's division, um, and the enemy is right in the middle of it. The enemy is saying, I've got you exactly where I want you. You're afraid. You're not sure. Um, and, and he's just right in the midst of it all. But you guys know just as well as I do that where there is division, there can be unity in Jesus. That where there is hatred and bitterness, that there can be love and healing in Jesus, that where there is attacks from the enemy that tries to pull us apart, there can be a move of God that pieces our brokenness back together. 
in the midst of the crazy world that's happening, it doesn't matter what's happening outside right now, I know that Jesus can piece it back together if we allow him to, if we do what we are called to do, if we stand in the gap for those people who don't know Jesus and show the love of God like God is calling us to do. And in searching for that wholeness again in my devotion and really uh, trying to figure out what, I, what God, what's my role in all of this? God, what do you want me to do to help piece back together everything that's happening, God, and in searching for an answer to the dismay that seems to be every other day in 2020, I felt God bring me back to this chapter that I've read a million times in the Bible, and I believe it is one of the most important chapters in all of Scripture. So if you would, turn, me, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen for you. And we're just going to read through it together. I want to read the whole chapter because I think that there's something in every line of this chapter um, that God is wanting to speak to us. And then I just want to hit some highlights and just expound on some ideas that are in there. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Paul says this, if, I'm, if I speak the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It isn't easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. It love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. In verse 13, one of the most incredible verses that I think transcends time, transcends uh, hearts, situations, circumstances, is incredible and is beautiful. And it says this, and now these three remain, fate, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. I came across this chapter in the Bible in my devotion a few weeks back, and I just haven't been able to shake it. I don't know if you've ever came across something in your Bible the Lord just like was dealing with you for a while, that it wasn't something that you read and and it was just like, oh, yeah, that's good for now. But this is something that I feel like the Lord is really just stirring in my heart um, since I read it. And I believe it's one of the most challenging chapters in the entire Bible. It gives us framework for how we are supposed to love one another. It gives us step-by-step, uh, step, really, of the characteristics of love so that we know how to show that love to one another. In this chapter, Paul is speaking to the Corinthian people, and he's reminding them, what I feel like God wants to remind us this morning, that at the end of the day, that no knowledge, no faith, no prophecy, no, nothing that, will, that, that, that he talks about in these verses will ever outlast Christ-like love. That there's nothing that you can do, no action you can take, no, no prophecy about the future that you can make, no, nothing, no knowledge you can have, no faith that can move a mountain that will ever be, more, uh, be greater than God's love. 
If there's anything that you walk out of here this morning with, it's that you need to be carrying the love of God with you wherever you go. It doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter what you think you know, that God's love transcends all of that. And if there's anything that is going to start breaking down barriers between people today, yesterday, and for all all tomorrows, it's the love of Christ that transcends time. It's so clear, the Bible's so clear in this verse that love never fails. If you're looking for an answer, like I feel all of us are, let me start you on one, it's love. If you're looking for what, what is my role in this time? What am I supposed to do? Who, who am I supposed to talk to? It's figuring out how to love like Jesus does on a daily basis because that's what will break down barriers in people's hearts. People that don't know you will only trust your words when they know that you care for them. I don't know who's had that bad mentor in their life or that bad person that maybe you didn't even know that you're like, oh, this is my dream to do. I would love to be a doctor. And they're like, ah. You're not that smart, so you should probably do something else. Like, and you're like, I don't know. You're my professor that I've met you for like a minute and a half. And you're like, nah, that's not you. But like, you don't put any, any weight in what he's saying, right? Because you don't know that that person loves you. Man, that's so practical for us. If we're talking to people that we don't know, and we're trying to change their moral positioning, we're trying to change their intellectual standpoint on what they're saying, but they don't know who we are, they're, they're probably going to shrug that off as, this is some crazy guy on Facebook that is just yelling at me for no reason because they don't, they don't know you. But love is where it all begins. When someone knows that you love them and not love them conditionally but unconditionally with no, with no s- steps that they have to make, then they begin to place trust and, and hope and, and hopefully change their hearts. Not a certain people, not a specific people but every single human being. And doing some studies on this chapter, I came across a piece of information um, that was titled Relevance. And I thought, how perfect. (laughs) How does this relate to me? How is this uh, relevant to today's time? Uh, And basically, it was saying that, that, that Paul was relaying this message to the Corinthian church and that it can be applied to our own life. Uh, Because how many of us look to the Bible whenever there's something going on? I mean, hopefully that's one of your first thoughts is maybe I need to figure out what God says about this. Um, But this is one of the things that I feel like just when I read it, it just stuck out to me. And it said this, this letter continues to be timely, talking about the letter of uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians. This letter continues to be timely for the church today, both to instruct and to inspire. Christians are still powerfully influenced by their cultural environment. And most of the questions and problems that confronted the church at Corinth are still very much with us today. Problems like immaturity, instability, divisions, jealousy, envy, lawsuits, marital difficulties, sexual immorality, and the misuse of spiritual gifts. So already, I could close this sermon out by giving you guys homework, right? I could say, go home, read First and Second Corinthians, apply it to your life, and we'll pray right now, and we'll, we'll leave. You guys can go wherever you're going to eat. But I feel like God is wanting me to expound on some things in this scripture that he spoke to me and that I hope touches your heart as well. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to walk through this scripture together, and I hope that something changes you. Something, something changes you, and what I know what will change you is God's love. But just to give you some background on, the, on why Paul is saying on this, all, all, all the stuff Paul is saying is not just to be speaking, but it had a reason. It had, it, there, was, there was a reason that Paul was uh, speaking this to the Corinthian church uh, because they had issues, right? The Corinthian church 
had problems. They were just like us. They, had, they, they made mistakes. They fell. They did things that they weren't supposed to. And he, he, he's like, look, I've got, to, I've got to say something before things get out of hand. So if you know anything about the Corinthian church or the, the, the area surrounding uh, Corinth, you'll know that they were thriving. Corinth was not a poor place. Corinth was not something that was um, just like off the beaten path. Uh, Corinth was thriving, and that's what was leading them to their downfall. The first thing that Corinth was thriving in was their commerce. They were right on the water. They were like a, a trade route. Uh, destination. Everyone made a crossroads in Corinth. They had money flowing in and out. And how many people know that when money is the biggest factor in our life, our morals start to get shifted, right? We start to look for our identity and how much money we have or, or that we feel safe because we have all this money. If you look at their culture, they were characterized by a typical Greek culture. And what Greek culture was, was people interested in, in philosophy and they placed a high premium on on knowledge. Greek people loved knowing more than their neighbor, right? Greek people were always arguing. They were always having these philosophical, philosoph whatever. They were always talking about philosophy. And then, let me just, if you don't know what philosophy is, here it is. I took a, a philosophy class in college, so obviously I know it all at this point. Um, <clears throat> philosophy is this. There is no answer. If you have a question, there's not an answer because we can argue about it all day long. And I'm going to say something, but there's also this, and oh, and you should also think about this, but wait, I heard you, but you should think about this. And it was the worst class I took in my entire life. It was so terrible. There was I would be like, oh, I've got an answer. So I said it out loud, and he would be like, eh, you're an idiot. And I was like, there's not an answer to anything. And so that's what the Greek people, that's what the, Corinth, the people of Corinth and the church in Corinth was dealing with at that time. Then they had a lot of religion. They didn't just have Christianity. It wasn't just Jews in Corinth, but they had a lot of religion. They had 12 temples across all of, of Corinth. And, and it wasn't just, like I said, Christian temples or, or Jewish temples. Man, it was pagan gods. They worshiped anything and everything. There, there was temp but they knew what religion was, right? We know religion, with the, the, there's some rules, there's some things to do. <clears throat> but they knew about religion. So they were already seeking the high knowledge. They were already seeking what we should and shouldn't do. And then last, they were thriving in immorality. Because they were a crossroads for commerce and trade, it placed a lot of people in there. <clears throat> Corinth was plagued by immoral behavior. They were, the, the immorality of Corinth, just to, to give you an idea, they came up with a slang term for when you practice sexual immorality, and the Greek word literally meant to Corinthianize. We were Corinthianizing people whenever we were practicing sexual immorality. That, that, there was, it was so bad in Corinth. They were practicing sexual immorality and had a word for it based in their name. There were temples to goddesses. There was at one point over a thousand prostitutes in Corinth, right? Imagine our church and on a big hill right behind us was a temple dedicated to prostitution, right? <clears throat> it would be a little rough, right? We were like, we're going to love you guys from a distance. Like that's what the Corinthian church was plagued with. So I say all that to say this, you see Paul's urgency. He's got a lot of work to do in Corinth. He's got a lot to do because the culture around them was starting to infiltrate their church. Because, like I said earlier, your culture infiltrates your life. The voices you place around you, what, whether, what they're saying infiltrates your life. And if you're not careful, it infiltrates your church. Paul was wanting to remind the church of what was important in this time. The reason behind Paul's message to the Corinthians was to correct their behavior. It was to lead them back to the right path. It was to tell them 
what was the right thing to do? It was to bring to light some of the problems, not with the outside church, not with, not with the outside of the walls of the church, but what was happening inside the walls of the church, but with the Christians residing there. How many people know that if we want to see change in the world, we have to start right here? If we want to see change around us, we have to look different, right? If we want to see change, we have to be the change. And that's, that's a really easy nugget to carry out of here with you. If you want to see change, you have to be the change. But how do you be the change? Paul makes it clear in chapter 13 where the heart of change also starts. It starts by adopting the love of Christ as our own and showing it to everyone around us. It starts with love. It starts with not, not your faith that can move mountains. It doesn't start with, are you the best Christian that's ever lived? Have you done all the right things? Have you never fallen? Do you pray every single day? Have you read your Bible today? Have you read it more than you did yesterday? It starts with, man, how are you loving people? How are you showing God's love? How are you letting people know that God loves them? That's where the heart of change starts, and that's why Paul is saying this. He lays out what love is. Paul lays out what love isn't. And Paul lays out what love does. Why I feel like God placed this on my heart was for this reason. As the church, we need to evaluate our motivation behind our actions and our words. We have to take count of why we say what we say, why we do what we do, why we post what we post, why we share what we share. Is the motivation behind it love? Not being right not having the answer, not having the knowledge, not saying, look at me, I, I figured something out. Is it to change the hearts of somebody or is it to change the heart of somebody through love? Because there's a big difference. We need to become familiar once again with what it looks like to love our neighbors. The world today says that there is no love in anyone's heart, but as the church, we are called to show love first and foremost. But how do you show love if you don't know what that is? How do you show love if you don't have an idea of what God calls you to do to show love? I just want to share a few thoughts with you guys about this chapter and hopefully spark a bit of hope in you that there can be change. We're looking for change. The world's looking for change. And I want to spark hope that there is change to be had. But let me challenge you with this. It's going to start with you. It's going to start in your heart. It's going to start in your actions and your motivation behind what you're doing. If you look at verses 1 through 3, the first three verses in this chapter, you see that Paul is making sure that we know love should be the first thing in everything that we do. Paul selects four gifts of the Spirit and uses them examples. He says tongues, prophecy, faith, and giving. These are some of the, the highest things that the church in Corinth was placing their, their bets on. They were saying, if you, can, if you can pray in tongues, if you can prophesy about what's coming in the future, if you can have faith that will move mountains— if you can give everything that you have to the poor, then you're a good Christian. But Paul is saying none of those things compare to if you have the love of Christ. If you are showing the love of Christ. He declares that <clears throat> even their most spectacular manifestations mean nothing unless it's motivated by love. He's telling the people in Corinth who are so caught up in knowledge and wisdom that these incredible gifts that they're so earnestly seeking mean nothing if they're not acting in love towards one another. Man, they could find it. They could have the knowledge. They could have the answer. They could finally find the root of philosophy, which is apparently not a thing. But they could find it all and still have nothing because they're not showing love to one another. They could move mountains with their faith and still be nothing. They could have all the knowledge in the world, all the right answers to the biggest, biggest problems, but still be nothing. 
<clears throat> he's stating, sorry, I'm going to, my, my mouth is really dry today for some reason. I know you guys love me, it's okay, right? You, get, you have to at this point. We're, we're like halfway in this thing. You have to at this point. You're like, ah. <clears throat> Paul's stating that the way to reach the heart of the world that so desperately needs a move of God is not by persuading. It's not by arguing philosophy. It's not by showing off miracles. But it's how we love. The Greek word that's used right here is agape. And I'm sure you've heard what agape means. It's, one of the, it's, the, it's the deepest form of love that the Bible talks about. And it, indi- it indicates a selfless concern for the welfare of others. A selfless concern for the welfare of others. You know what that means? It puts us aside for the well-being of other people. Not, not us in a, in, a, in a money sense. Not us in a knowledge sense. Not us just in one sense or another. It puts your whole self aside so that someone else can be lifted up. You know what that is? That's love. That's what Christ did for us on the cross. He said, I will die so that you can have life. I will die so that you see an example of the links that you should go to for other people, right? How many people would say that they are not ready to die for someone that they don't know? Jesus went to the cross knowing that people would probably never accept his love. You know, Barnabas, he was standing right there with Jesus. Jesus could have changed the hearts of people right there. And he knew at that moment that Barnabas would probably never accept him as their savior. And he still went to the cross for him. That's selfless love. It's Christ's love manifested on the cross. Not just a love taught by your parents. Not just a love that you're used to understanding. But Christ-like love. The love that catches you in the act of sinning and gives you grace even then. And that's challenging. When you catch someone in the act that you know that they shouldn't be doing, that they know that they shouldn't be doing, you know what, what God says at that moment? Love them. Don't push them away. Don't tell them that they've fallen. Don't tell them that they're, they're wrong and they need to change their life. Man, it's extending your arms and sometimes hugging someone and saying, look, I'm here with you. I'm here for you. I want to listen. I want to be here for you. We all know the story of the, the, the prostitute that was call, uh, caught in the act of Uh, sinning by the Pharisees in John chapter 8. This woman was caught in the act of adultery by the chief religious leaders of the time. And they bring her straight to Jesus and they throw her down in the sand, demanding that Jesus do something about this. And what was Jesus' response? He kneels down, he writes something, and he stands up and tells the accusers, let he who is without sin throw the first stone. Man, that's a beautiful example of Christ's love. If you haven't sinned, throw the first stone. But if you're like me, I've sinned a few more times than one. That's all of us. Man, pushing away people who are saying, accuse them, do something about this, and opening your arms, lifting that person up and saying, let's do this again. Let's keep walking. Let's keep moving. Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 13, uh, verses 34 and 35, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I loved you, you should love each other your love for one another will prove to the world that you, uh, you are my disciples. Your love will prove that you're, not, that you're my disciples. Not if you are at church every Sunday. Not if you've read the entire Bible. Not if you can memorize the whole Bible. But how you love one another will be the proof that you are my disciples. I came across this passage that said this. Without love, even the Christian who has the most effective faith contributes nothing to the edification of the church. And edification means this, the instruction or improvement of a person morally 
or intellectually. So a person that acts without love does nothing to edify the church. It brings no positive influence into the church. It doesn't change anybody morally or intellectually. Without love, you're a clanging symbol. You're a gong that's making a bunch of noise. You're making noise that no one can grasp, though. Without love, you're saying words that no one can grasp. Love is what opens hearts. Not right thinking, not right doing, but a Christ-like love shown to their faces. Love builds up the church. Love that builds up the church is a more important uh, characteristic than the sacrifice of all your possessions and even your body. Love is a matter of not only actions, but also motivation. What is your motivation behind what you're doing? What is your reasoning for it? Do you have a goal of loving someone? Why do you have that goal? What is your motivation? If you go on to verses 4 through 7, uh, you'll see just a, a, a few ways that Paul describes love. He, he lays out uh, really plainly what love is. Um, how many of you guys have heard the, the sandwich method of criticism, right, where you lay the piece of bread, and it's real soft, and you, you, you lift somebody up? Because you got criticism coming, right? So it's not going to be easy. So you, 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 lay, you lay the soft piece of bread down, and you're like, hey, man. You're really, like, I saw what you did the other day. That was real awesome, right? You're a real good guy. And then you hit him with the criticism, and you're like, but you messed up. You messed up bad, and you're a terrible person. And then you, you pat it down with some more bread. But I know you can change, right? But I know you can do better. That's the sandwich method of criticism. If you've never heard of that, use it. It's really easy because it's like, ah, hey, ah, like, <laughs> People respond well to it. I have to do that a lot um, to myself, uh, sometimes to Shelby, not that often to Shelby, though. But Paul is doing that right now. That's what Paul was describing to the Corinthian church. He was doing the sandwich method. He describes the nature of love, first with two positive statements, and then he describes eight negative statements about love, what not to do, what love isn't, and then reinforces it with four positive ones. He says this, love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it isn't proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it isn't self-seeking, it isn't easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love doesn't delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, it always hopes, uh, it always trusts, and it always perseveres. The idea behind all this is the negative things that Paul was saying about love was what Corinthian, that the Corinthian church was dealing with. He was criticizing them. Love doesn't look like what you guys are doing right now. It doesn't boast. It doesn't keep record of wrongdoing. He was telling them all the things that they were doing. He was calling out the church and letting them know what love is and what they shouldn't be doing, what they're probably already doing. He was giving them uh, like a, a, a guideline, if you will, that was saying like, hey, here's what love is. Here's a few things about what love is. Here's what you guys are doing right now. And love is definitely not that. You guys should change immediately. And then it goes into saying it always trusts. It always believes, it always hopes, it always protects and perseveres. Believes is not in there. <laughs> protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. And I just want to walk through those things, right, just real quick and expand them uh, just a little bit. The first one, he says, love is patient. What does that mean to be patient? It's having the fruit of the Spirit that constrains wrath, that it endures being provoked, and it preserves peace. That's my heart, right? Like, all the time, I'm, I want to preserve peace. But love is patient. When people are making you so angry, Love is patient. Love is kind. It's the fruit of the Spirit that gives friendly, merciful, helpful attention to others. 
When someone has a need, it's being kind, giving them friendly, merciful, helpful attention to them. Love doesn't envy. It rejects negative, self-centered feelings with regard to the gifts or achievements of others. When someone has what you like, it's being happy for them. When someone has what you want, it's being happy for them. Love doesn't boast. It doesn't praise oneself or brag about one's own gift to others. It doesn't say, hey, look at me. This is what I have. No. Love is happy for other people and making that the focal point. Love isn't proud. It doesn't have an exaggerated view on oneself, acting like we don't need as much grace for our little sins as they do for their big sins. Love doesn't dishonor others. It doesn't use one another's sin to give approval to dishonor others. Well, I mean, you did see, I mean, I hate to bring it up, but you did see what they did last week, right? You did see what, what they did a few years ago, right? Love doesn't bring up someone's past to give approval to dishonor them, right? Love says, I know what you've done, and I'm going to love you through it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to place so much love on you that you're not even going to understand why, that, why someone would love me so much despite my flaws. Love doesn't dishonor others. It lifts others up. It doesn't tear them down. Love isn't self-seeking. It's not narcissistically fixated on oneself and one's own advantage. It doesn't say, what can I gain out of this situation? It says, what can I give? What can I give to other people? Love isn't easily angered. It refuses to become irritated and provoked to wrath. On the road, not e I'm very easily angered. It, do it doesn't take much, right? But love says, you know what? Even though you're driving like a maniac, I'm going to love you through it. Love keeps no records of wrongdoings. It doesn't refuse to fully forgive others. And I think the key word right there is fully. We, how many people have forgiven others, but you've written them off at the same time? I forgive you for what you did to me, but I'm not going to talk to you ever again. Like, I love you, sort of. No, love fully forgives others. It says, look, I'm going to keep forgiving you, and you may keep spitting in my face. But, man, I'm going to show you the love of Jesus Christ that forgives you time and 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 time again. I'm going to continue to love you in the midst of the craziness. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It doesn't deny the need for truth, but rejoices when truth is made whole in love. Right? How much, like, truth is, is what we all seek, right? No one wants to just, like, have a bunch of love, but, like, really not know what the truth is. Truth is what we seek, but truth is sometimes more damaging if there's no love there. You can say the right things and still harm someone. You can say the right things and still push someone away from God. If they don't know that you love them, sometimes it's hard for them to accept the truth in their life. Love rejoices in truth, but it's made whole in love. Love always protects. Christ-like love doesn't highlight the wrongs in others. Rather, it covers them in grace and truth. Love always trusts. It believes all things. Not meaning that we're gullible, believing anyone or anything, but realizing that our trust and our faith is found in not someone, but in God. I can believe you whether or not you're being truthful in this situation because my trust doesn't rely in you. It relies in the God who never changes. Trust is, love always trusts. 
Rather, whether or not someone is going to do something wrong right after they tell you something, love is going to trust like they're going to give you what they say they're going to give you. Love always hopes no matter what is going on around us. Love has a positive outlook. It says uh, it sees the positive potential in every situation and in every person. And love always perseveres. Love will be the answer until the end of time. Constant love can break the mold of generations of sin and disdain in even the hardest hearts. Why? Why do we have these? How, where do we find, where do we find, where's the model of, of all of these characteristics? All of these qualities of love are found in God, the Father, and in Jesus. And we know because he sent his son, and his son lived a life that said, I love you, I love you, I love you, you're my children, you are worthy, you are, you are everything that I need you to be, even when you're not, Jesus loves us. That's where we get these qualities, that's where we get these characteristics. We as Christians should live and love the way that Jesus did. Shelby, if you would come on up as I close this morning. <clears throat> you move on to verses 8 through 13. And Paul finishes the chapter by reminding us a few things. That prophecies will cease, tongues will be stilled, knowledge will pass away. These three things cease because they are limited in nature and will be unnecessary when completeness comes. So look at the verse. Verse 8 says this, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we know partially. We don't know the whole situation. We know partially. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, I'm talking about when Jesus returns, when Jesus brings us all to a place of him, what is in part disappears because there's no brokenness found in Jesus. It's whole, it's made whole, it's complete. Verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. How many people know that the Lord knows you fully right now, even when we only know ourselves in part? God sees potential. God sees what you can be. God sees what he, what if you would trust in him in every situation, what your life will turn out to look like. Even when we don't know what tomorrow looks like, God does. Because he doesn't see in part like we do. He sees in completeness. He sees in wholeness. I love the image that's given in verse 12. It says, for now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. If you know about back then, mirrors were not mirrors that we know them to be today. It was um, probably made out of a, a bronze material. And if you've ever looked at bronze, you, you would know how uh, not great that sounds to be a mirror. It would not reflect you perfectly. It would not give you an, uh, an accurate depiction of what you look like. Um, and that's what the imagery that Paul is using right here. Because he's saying that for right now, I see myself as I, not, as I am not. I see myself only partially. I see myself in a distorted view because I'm not looking at a perfect mirror. Because I'm not looking at something that is gonna be clear that we truly only know parts and pieces. And it reminded me of how important it is to understand that we only see portions of most people's lives. 
We see portions. We see glimpses. We see hints. And we see people, if, if we're honest, we see people at their worst most of the time. We don't see a whole lot of people at their best. We know in part. We don't see the whole picture. And yet we make judgments. We make accusations. We strip people of their potential in God before God can even begin working in them. We hope that they have had the same opportunities and experiences as us, right? I was raised in church. I was born in a pew, like actually, like that really happened. I was born in a pew, it, like back there. We've been in this church, I'm just kidding. I see people like they've had that same experience, that they were raised in church and they've decided not to do that anymore. And that is such a distorted view of how God sees people. People have different experiences. People have gone through different things. People have seen a different God than I've seen because life is different for each other. We know part what God knows fully. And so as Christians, what does it look like to love them? It's not looking and loving them in part, but it's saying, I'm gonna love you until I see your life in whole. And we won't ever see that until the Lord comes back, but it's living like every day, the Lord is gonna be here and we're gonna be able to see it's loving people regardless of their experiences, regardless of their shortcomings, regardless of, of what they're saying to me right now, how they made me angry. Man, people go through stuff that I'll never see. And it's loving them through that. Our opinions fade. People will forget us when we're gone. But the way that we love will supersede our death when all is said and done. Love never fails. How you show love for the people that you don't know, for the people that you disagree with, that you couldn't find yourself ever loving. How you show love for them is what will remain when you're long gone. The choice to love someone who seems beyond our grasp will do more than you will ever know. How many people have been changed by someone's love? Not just Jesus' love, but me, I mean a person's love. How you were walking and you were, you were really trying and you were doing your best and you fell time and time again, but someone loved you through it. You know how often I need that love? on a daily basis and Shelby still loves me. I still go to people that I can tell them my worst sins to and they wouldn't look at me an instant different because they know what it looks like to show God's love. I want that to be me. I want you guys to come to me when you need that. That's what I impart in my youth so much. I tell them as much as I can that there's a plan that there's a purpose, there's something that God has for you in your life. And no matter what happens, call me. I don't care where you are, I don't care what you've done, I will be there for you because I want you to know so badly that God loves you regardless. Your mistakes don't define you. What you're doing in the moment doesn't define you. What you did last night doesn't define you. That God loves you regardless first loved me because he found me in my brokenness he found me in my stupidity and he said you know what plans haven't changed plans haven't changed you just took a detour destination's the same we're going to the same place 
And it wasn't because someone told me something or someone said the right thing or pointed out my wrongs. It was because someone said, you know what? I love you. They wrapped their arms around me. They gave me a hug. They reminded me that I could be loved. And mistakes tell us that we don't deserve love. Mistakes tell us that we're the only one who deals with something like that. And but when people love, when people push beyond the barriers of what the world says to love somebody, man, barriers are broken down. Paul finishes his chapter with verse 13, and he says this, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Paul makes three incredible statements right here. The first one being that all of this is true. This whole chapter is true. Not because Paul has said it, not because it's what they need to hear, but because God is love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. The second thing Paul makes uh, known right now is that God has communicated his love to us. In 1 John 4, uh, 10, it says this, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Not that I've made a decision to love God, but that God loved me before I made that decision. It has nothing to do with my decision. It has everything to do with the plan that God has for us. And then the third thing, the third statement Paul makes here is that God commands us to love one another in the same way that Christ loved us. Back to John chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So you must love one another. And as I have loved you. I don't claim to have all the answers. I don't claim to have all the knowledge. I know that my 25 years of life really isn't a good gauge on what everything says. But what I do know is what I do know is that love will never fail. You can know that at 50, you can know that at 25, you can know that at 10, you can know that at 5, not because you know it, but because you experience it through God, through accepting Jesus. And then you see it come to pass when you love others. How many? It's easy sometimes, and sometimes it's really hard, but it's easy sometimes to accept God's love, but the rubber meets the road when you have to love someone else. So showing love, true Christ-like love to everyone I can. And I may mess up sometimes. People may get on our nerves. We may fall on occasion. But I want 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to be my heart from now on. And you can spit in my face. You can lie straight to me. You can tell me that I'm not worth it. I'm still going to love you. I have to. I have to. I have to treat every day like it could be my last. What if the last thing that you heard was me telling you how wrong you were? What if the last thing that you heard was me screaming at you for something you did to me? And I gotta love like there's no tomorrow. I have to love like, like that's what everything is hanging on. What if your love for someone, what if a hug, what if an encouraging statement would, would be the thing that would, that would tip them over and God would be able to move in their life like no other. Every single day, 
I want to wake up with this on my mind. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It isn't proud. It trusts. It hopes. It protects. It perseveres. And I pray that that will become your heart as well. And I know that this is true. If it is, every single one of us will be able to make that our heart from now on then we will see change. The world so desperately needs it. So why can't it start with us? Bow your heads with me this morning. Dear Lord, thank you once again for joining us at Legacy Church. Stay tuned in to our website for updates on events and check out other messages under the online listening tab. We'd love to see you, so join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. or Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. Have a blessed day.